You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any distance down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Chiefs' kingdom, welcome into the latest edition, the newest episode of the AP Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I am Ron Cobb Jr., the lead analyst at the site. I'm usually joined by my guy, Matt Stagner. He had some important things to do this week. So I'm bringing in, you know, the best backup podcast host there is in the game right now. I got to say, Caleb filled in uh, before the season already. Uh, Caleb James at CJ Scoobs on Twitter. He is joining me today. We're going to talk about Chiefs Vikings, the big win on Sunday. Chiefs win 27-20, but... Caleb, I'll just I'll just bring you in on this, man. How how you feeling? How you feeling about the win before we get into anything else? That game was about what I expected it to be. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be, you know, high scoring, close game. Because even though you know headed in Minnesota is only one and three, they've still got that offensive threat. But you know that they're a real good example of just how tough it is to win in the NFL because you do have a pretty good football team that's like probably not going to make the playoffs up there now just because they've lost so many close games. But, you know, the Chiefs find, found a way to win another one, even if they weren't really playing their best football all the way through. Yeah, Minnesota is a very crazy team to root for because last year you had them going 11-0 in one-score games up until the postseason. They had that great record. This year, you, you know, you, you mentioned how hard it is to win. You know, they're 0-3 in one-score games, you know, to start the year, uh, you know, started 0-3. And it's a lot of turnover luck, right? Like a lot of turnover is a lot of what that is. Start off the game, this game, first play of the game, Justin Reed forces a fumble. I mean, the Vikings are, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting time, you know, an interesting team to be a fan of. Chiefs know that very well, but we've kind of gotten past that, you know, that uh, those those crazy curses. But but speaking of that, the game and just just maybe Vikings fans, you know, I it drives me crazy, Caleb, as we, we, we always we, we get up on a Monday morning, we, we get up on our, uh, you know, on our TLs, you know, we're scrolling and it's just crazy to me how, how often and this game is one of them to me, you know, how often we see the officiating get brought up, you know, in the postgame talk of this. I, I hate talking about officiating, so we're not going to talk about it much after this, but it's just crazy to me, Caleb. Like, how do you watch that game and, and see? you know, that the officiating was, you know, was super leaning on the Chiefs side. The Vikings had four penalties called on them. The Chiefs had 10. You know, the Chiefs had one drive with four penalties called on them, which we'll talk about. I, I actually kind of like what we saw from that. But but I don't know, Caleb. I mean, it, does it drive you crazy like it does me? Just like how often we have to, you know, counter officiating takes, in, you know, in the in the wake of a of Chiefs win? 
you know, the Chiefs have been called for 33 penalties this year, which ties them for ninth. So, like, this take that they're getting every call doesn't back up, isn't backed up by anything, considering they're actually one of the most penalized teams in the entire NFL this year. And look, man, I get it. There's going to be a couple of those plays where Justin Jefferson's going to get his superstar call. Travis Kelsey gets him too. It happens. Yeah. Okay. They're throwing like defensive line holdings on Tershawn Wharton for taking yeah. on a double team. I'm like, oh, so this is what kind of game this is. Because, yeah, by, by law, you know, you, you can't hold if you're a defensive lineman, but let's go watch every double team throughout the course of the entire NFL season and look at it. I mean, you know, I'm not a big blame the refs guy. That's just not – I've never really been like that, even when the Chiefs are getting a bunch of whack calls going their way. But, I mean, just to sit here and say, you know, well, these this series of plays that got penalized, that changed the outcome of the game. Number one, no game ever comes down to just one play. And number two, it's like there's so much more going on than just like – a couple of calls going your way here or there. So I, I don't get it. It's just what, you know, people don't like it because the Chiefs are consistently winning and that's really the only thing they can bring them down on. I know. It just it just drives me, you know, and, and even with within the Jawan Taylor situation, we still get people, you know, trying to come out, you know, like the Jets last week, you know, with the mod gardener. And it's just, you know, this week, you know, we hear we we get Legarius Needs, you know, late game taking off his helmet, not getting penalized for it that's all of a sudden this conspiracy because the referee, you know, advised him to put it back on. That's, that's not some crazy rig, you know, NFL rig thing. That's just a referee. What he's supposed to do, you know, referees are supposed to warn people before they, they, they flag. And one, once it gets excessive, that's when it becomes a flag. Actually, if you remember from the Broncos game last year, Jerry Judy pulls off his helmet, does not get penalized in the wake of, of the game though. In the next week, he did get a fine, which, that is probably what's going to happen to Legarius Sneed because, you know, you aren't supposed to take your helmet off in, in, in the play. But even even if they did penalize him there, Chiefs still had the ball. Chiefs were still going to end up and win. It's just it's and, and, and we're done talking about it after this. It's just it's just hilarious to me. And and that that overshadows sometimes the the, the big parts of the game, Caleb. But but we, we like talking ball here, Caleb. So so I don't know any other takes before we get into the, the rest of this. I got none on that, man. Let's talk about actual football and not what people wish had happened. That, that's that's what I bring you on for. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Caleb helps me and Nate Christensen as well joins us on the AP Film Room on the Arrowhead Pride YouTube channel. Make sure you're checking that out. We go live on Tuesday evenings. Actually, it'll just be Caleb and I tomorrow night. Uh, Nate's busy, so you're going to get the same duo breaking down the X's and O's, talking about the actual film of the game, the All-22 live on the Arrowhead Pride YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages Tuesday night. So make sure you're checking that out. And make sure you ask us questions here on the podcast. We always take them on the Monday morning after the game, answer them for you here on the show. We'll do that in the second half of the show later on. You can ask them on Twitter. We send out a prompt, or you can email them to apoutofstructure at gmail.com. If you do so, we will take them in and answer them on the following show. Again, though, we will do that later in the show. We're going to be doing a, a little bit of breakdown of this previous game, this Chiefs-Vikings game, what we saw on the field. Caleb, I know you're kind of digging into the defensive film, but we're going to start out on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I do the Insta breakdown for, for the sites, and 
on Sunday, we saw, you know, another kind of weird game from the offense to an extent, you know, we saw the run game come out hot. Uh, the pass game was very spread out, you know, nobody over a hundred receiving yards, a lot of different players, you know, catching, but I did have to give offensive player of the game to the Yeti to Travis Kelsey, who scared us all gave us a, a pretty big scare with that injury, Caleb, but came back out in the second half, could not be denied, refused to be, uh, you know, kept on the sideline and had three big time catches on one drive. It was actually the chief's last touchdown drive led them uh, to go up 27, 13. They held on to that score, but you know, just what are your takes on the Travis Kelsey kind of gutsy performance and just what the offense uh, had to do to gut it out on Sunday? That was a terrifying moment because a lot of the time when you see those non-contact injuries, it's never anything good. And I'm no lower extremity expert. I'm sure every doctor, every Twitter doctor, armchair physician was telling everyone what they thought happened. I was assuming worst case scenario just because it's the non-contact, which I guess we're going to assume it's a low ankle sprain at this point. But I mean, what that's, a, what, they're, that's what they're calling it, by the way. The team has come out and called it a low ankle sprain uh, on Monday. So just officially. Yeah. And man, it was just one of those games where it's like, yeah, they weren't going to force him to go back in there, but you saw how much it meant for him to get back in the game. Like, and it's crazy to think about because the Chiefs are three and one still. I mean, even if they had dropped this game versus the Vikings, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. It would have been another out of conference loss. And they have still had, you know, plenty of time to make up ground versus the other teams in the AFC, which there's some teams not doing a very good job in the rest of the AFC right now. But I mean, just the grit and toughness to come back in and not only come back in, I'm like, well, maybe they'll put him in and he'll just be the decoy. Like they'll put right. him in to draw the bodies and then maybe get it to someone else. And they end up going down. He scores a touchdown and he makes one of the, another one of the biggest catches of the game makes one of the best catches of his career with that circus catch where O'Connell burned the timeout for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I that mean, was a terrible challenge. Yeah, you you see a lot what that, you know, you see a lot what the Chiefs are made of when you see what Mahomes and Kelsey go through week in and week out. Like they do lay out, they do put their bodies on the line every week. So I mean, we should all be appreciative for that and I mean, really that felt like the kind of spark that came out and sparked the offense cuz Kelsey didn't go in that first half, the first drive in the first half, right? We actually second saw half, some right. second half, yeah, but we actually saw some of the other players on the roster actually recognize, okay, Kelsey's out. We got to step up and go. Yes. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. That first drive of the second half, they came out and scored a touchdown, but Kelsey never took the field. He 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 crept onto the field. They had to bring him back. That was kind of when you saw him kept kind of getting pulled back, but you know, that's when Rasheed had a 13-yard catch at one point. That's when MVS finally uh, made his presence felt, had a 12-yard catch, and then Rasheed had the touchdown, which was a great play. We'll talk about them a little later, but I do want to stick on Travis because we don't see him get injured a lot or get banged up a lot. Like it, it was, it is a rare occurrence this year, seeing him kind of having to play through injury, and that's what he just doesn't get credit enough for, Caleb. And I know you, you, you know, you just spoke to it, but you know when he gets these comparisons to Gronk, it, it, he's called like the finesse you know, the finesse dude, the kind of the softer dude, Gronk's the, the, you know, hard nosed dude, you know, Gronk, Gronk got injured a lot and, and couldn't play through a lot of his injuries. You know, Kelsey, you know, grit, you know, is grinding out through these injuries. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to compare their toughness necessarily, but just to say that, you know, Kelsey's a tough ass dude too. Just like, just like Gronk is, you know, he gets more, he should get more credit for that. 
we just, he just doesn't get injured, you know, like they didn't have to wear these big braces on his knees and elbows because, you know, he's getting banged up all the time. Uh, he takes care of his body a little better, and, uh, you know, over his long career. So shout out Travis and, and his three catches on, on that second drive of the second half, all very impactful, big plays and all kind of made by him uh, to an extent. So third and seven. Mahomes stepping up in the pocket, man coverage, Kelsey's covered. He just gives him a, you know, a chance anyway. And, and that's the play you're talking about where, where O'Connell challenges it because the ball comes out after he's down. Just a great tough catch in, in traffic. The second one, though, third and eight near the, in the red zone, right? Uh, you know, Mahomes actually talked about it in the post game. They were trying to fake the defense out, kind of giving Kelsey a quick screen look and, and seeing if they'd pull up the defense and have Tony sneak out, you know, uh, up the sideline after, uh, you know, or, or above it, I should say. Didn't work. Defense kind of sunk under Tony. Mahomes kind of didn't know what to do with the ball. And he kind of creeps up in the pocket. And he even said this in the post game. He said, uh, I know I'm about to get hit. Like, he, he, he that will, that's what was going through his head. He turns to the left. All of a sudden, he sees Kelsey streaking right at him because Kelsey – you know, improvising on his route like we know he can do at, at his best is streaking towards him, gets the ball like a basketball pass, like a quick chess pass, and gets it for a first down. And then a couple plays later, sits in the perfect zone window to score th the touchdown. It was just a, a vintage Kelsey drive, and and it was great to see. But it was it was really the only impact he had on the game, honestly. Outside of that, he didn't he didn't do much, Caleb. Uh, what else from the offense did you was impressive uh, for you on Sunday outside of Kelsey? It's kind of hard to pick. I mean, we already touched on the running game. I wish they would have finished the game a little stronger, but also, I mean, they started just to play the run at the end there because you know the Chiefs were just trying to kill some clock towards the end of the game. But but how about that first drive though, Caleb? Like I know I know you noticed that uh, the O line popping out, the interior offensive line, you know, particularly kind of you know making some some yardage and. You know, Pacheco, man, uh, really still, you know, for continuing to look better and better to me. I don't know. Is, is this run game getting better to you week by week? I think it is. And I think this week was like the first time you saw Pacheco look slippery in there. Like yeah. We've had a lot of yeah. games. We've had a lot of games where, like, he gets to the hole and it's this big, massive hole because Smith and Creed and everyone in there, you know, they've just blown it open and then he gets tackled. This week, the Vikings were, like, condensing down a little bit more. They weren't, like – the Chiefs are still getting movement, but they're condensing the holes. They're tightening the gaps down. But he's, like, just going in there, and he's just slipping off of guys, breaking through arm tackles. And the Chiefs, you know, the Chiefs have played – you know, that was a good defense in the Jets they played last week. And he had a big game. And this week, you know, he came out, and they started out hot. They ran that little wildcat look. That was fun. Yeah, where they just kind of you know let him go in there and they just run it right up the middle on them. I mean, yeah, and I mean yeah, they, they just just came out hot and I mean the offensive line was firing off the ball. They were creating a lot of movement. They were fired up and ready to play. I mean that's how this team's got to play when when you're struggling at receiver like they are. You know they're gonna have to lean into the run game a little bit more early on in this season, even though we're kind of getting towards the middle point. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that about Pacheco. I, I really feel like he is, he is progressing in terms of being patient, kind of picking and choosing when to, when to hit it, and not necessarily, you know, being so stop and start and being so rigid. I feel like he, get, he is getting smoother, like you mentioned. I mean, you know, it, and it's not the only example of it from the game, but you actually had that one play where uh, the broadcaster, excuse me, I, I uh, you know, uh, Jim Nance, 
you know, kind of says, oh, he looked like Le'Veon Bell on that play because he he did. He was very patient with kind of seeing where, where his blocks would work. And, it, you know, he kind of just muddled his way into five or six yards. That's what you want to see from from a guy that's going to have to play both in the downhill run scheme and the zone run scheme that, that the Chiefs like to like to run. Um, and and I, so it's just good to see Pacheco kind of playing more comfortably. But let's talk about the defense, too, because because that was really the highlight of the game uh, to me for a lot of people even though I, I think there were some ups and downs, right? But, you know, the defensive backfield, just the way they were handling the Vikings pass game from Justin Jefferson to TJ Hawkinson, even to Jordan Anderson to an extent, you know, Legereus Sneed had the, had the you know, the, the plays on Jefferson a lot of the time, right, Caleb? But I actually had Trent McDuffie end up as my defensive player of the game because he ended up with six tackles, which was fourth on the team. But three of them were stops, which uh, is a PFF stat for tackles that constitute a failure for the, for the offense. Three stops was the second most on the team. Three quarterback hits for Trent McDuffie on four pass rushes. McDuffie racked up three quarterback hits, and he also was playing pretty well in coverage, had that one rep uh, in, in good coverage of Jeff, Justin Jefferson where Mike Edwards came, came over and almost picked it off. What did you see from the defense, uh, the defensive backfield maybe, but also just the back end? I know there was a few players that, that stood out to you. And I have a feeling tomorrow when we do the film room, like we're going to be putting on a clinic because there's a lot of teach tape for what the Chiefs secondary did. Love it. But you bring it all up, you know, McDuffie was excellent. So was Sneed. Mike Edwards might be the best safety on the roster, even though Justin Reed – friend of the show did a very good job to strip the ball or knock the ball out the first play of the game yeah. we'll give him that but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna focus on the linebackers because you mentioned it a second ago like obviously it's justin jefferson's the guy they want to stop right well tj hawkinson was the guy they were trying to go to next and he was where they tried to create more explosive plays because the you know, very rarely in the Spags era has one receiver just killed them through the course of the game. You think about the Jamar Chase game and then like what Gabe Davis did in the divisional round game. Those are like really the only two games that stand out where a receiver has just beat them bad. So you knew they were going to have something. But who stepped up to stop Hawkinson a lot of the time was Drew Tranquil. And he was excellent in coverage. He led the team in tackles also. But he was so fluid and so smooth finding Hawkinson, who is one of the elite route running tight ends in the NFL, you know, where it might have been a mismatch for a lot of other Chiefs linebackers. He was just so smooth where he was able to get to. And he's just, I don't know, his athletic range kind of, you know, he's built for a game like that. You know, I still think he could do better just against downhill run scheme type stuff. But when he's like out there in coverage or going sideline to sideline, I mean, he like that. That feels like a giant blunder the Chargers made letting him go because he fits the Chiefs system so much better than whatever they've been trying to run in you know Los Angeles the last few seasons. But when he's just like that Mike linebacker, I don't know, man. He was he was super impressive. Like he's doing stuff that isn't showing up in the stat book. Also, I mean, he's my defensive player of the game. Yeah, he he had that one pass breakup up the seam to Hawkinson that was just very, you know, just trailed him very well and 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 played it very well. He actually, it was a similar play to the one um, from the week before. I actually showed it on the film room against the Jets. Zach Wilson and the tight end just just made the play, and uh, but it was still great coverage. He 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 is covering very well, and and we will talk a little more about about him and Nick Bolton, kind of how they're going to handle that a little later on. But to to stay on this game particularly, you know. 
Legereus Sneed, he just continues to bully wide receiver ones into into low production games. You know, he's gotten penalties, right? He he got penalties this week. He got penalties on Calvin Ridley. But no matter how you slice it, it is a good thing that the Chiefs are, or, or excuse me, that the Vikings are only getting 28 yards out of Justin Jefferson or and three catches. You know, it, it's a good thing that the Jaguars offense was only able to produce 32 yards out of Calvin Ridley on two catches. No matter how you slice it, no matter if there are two plays in there where there's a penalty and, and maybe it's a defensive pass interference, you know, yeah, those plays are technically like 15 yard catches, but you're still throwing those receivers off their game. I mean, you saw on that one drive I referenced earlier where there was four penalties on the defensive backs, which the Justin Reed one was kind of silly. I mean, he just he was he swings everybody to the ground when he tackles them. Um, you know, he's been doing it. He does it every tackle. If you watch Justin Reed, which, you know, that's a you know, a, a questionable choice to tackle every single time. But, you know, that, that's that's another story. But, you know, my my thing is just that you like to see what Sneed does at the line of scrimmage, you know, beating up wide receivers, jamming them. And the thing is, he's able to get away with it uh, uh, more than other corners in kind of today's modern NFL, because a lot of the best cover corners that can trail and and still stick with you in coverage, even after maybe uh, you, you get by them and press to an extent, they're not as big and as long, right? Like the ones that can really stick with you, the ones that can press you are going to get lost if, if 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 you if you beat if you get past them in press coverage. Sneed is in that in that in that zone where he's a little bit of the, uh, the best of both worlds, and it's kind of why it's working right now. Obviously, though, they're giving him a lot of help. Um, the safeties right now that Spags is deploying them very well. He's putting you know McDuffie in one on one situations and kind of having maybe a safety help more with Sneed. Uh, you know, it, I think Spags is just dialing it up right now, Caleb. So any other, any other defensive take, how was the pass rush? Did you kind of, was the defensive line kind of too quiet for your liking? I know you were kind of hoping for a big game from them heading into it. Yeah. I, I wrote about the defensive line versus their offensive line before the game. And I thought it should have been a much better performance. Chris Jones got the sack, you know, he was from the interior. He was, uh, he was double teamed pretty much every play. And the one time he got, you know, he got free when they tried to single block him. He quickly beat the guard for a sack. It was like, snap your fingers fast. Cousins didn't even have time to get through a read. I don't know, man. It just kind of felt like the way they had been looking. Carl Loftus has been getting closer week by week. And Dana has been improving week by week. And Dana did come up at the very end. He met, he got a couple of other pressures there. I just felt like it was going to be a game where they could have really gotten off and teed off on Cousins a little bit more. So I was a little bit disappointed in that. I was starting to get frustrated with how much Chris was lining up on the outside because it has worked a lot this season. I didn't really think from the feel of the game that it was working out well this time, but it's kind of making me start to think, though, that they're getting him ready for when Omenahue does come back because they're going to have probably Chris and him on the same side of the line of scrimmage and – yeah. Probably put Dana and Karloftis or some combination of Dana, Karloftis, FAU on the other side. And it's going to be nasty whenever they get both of those guys. Because, you know, there's going to be some good one-on-one matchups in there somewhere. They're just going to have to exploit. So I was a little bit disappointed in the pass rush this week, to be honest. Did you hear Chris Jones on the Travis Kelsey podcast or the, you know, the New Heights podcast by any chance talk about – uh he was talking about kind of how he prefers playing to the outside because it's much harder to to truly double team, you know, someone to the outside, right? And it makes sense, right? You know, you can chip somebody, 
But chipping, especially on a, a guy that big sometimes, doesn't really do much, especially if it's just a running back. Um, you know, he can get through it pretty quick. He was kind of talking about how, yeah, on, on the inside, you know, I I get the double. They can double team me pretty easy if they really want to. And there's nothing too much I can do about it on a rush down. And so, you know, I really think that on pass rush downs, they're kind of allowing Chris to be pretty, uh, you know, free or flexible with where he's aligning up. And it's kind of and the rest of the pass rush kind of has to align off of him right now. But I don't really I'm with you. I don't really like him doing it too much to the outside if the offensive tackle isn't just a crazy mismatch like it was the first couple times he or first couple games he was he was back right you know i i think they just need to find the the weakest link on the line and, and put him against chris every time and let the other guys uh you know kind of exploit off of that but it is interesting because i do think maybe chris kind of told kind of shared with us that he truly prefers to play from the edge when he wants to rush and get a sack and you know that you know, if it's if, if it's a good enough offensive tackle, it's not always going to end up in a win like we saw in Jacksonville and in Chicago. So, yeah. I don't know, any other thoughts on that? Well, I don't know. You remember 21, he came in. He was, like, lean down. He was trying to be, like, a true defensive end. Yeah. He just doesn't have, like, that lateral quickness. But yeah. when he does win on the outside, he's winning with, like, overwhelming power that these tackles just aren't used to because – Right. He's like at his heaviest, like his best playing weight is probably, he probably is like close to 330, even though they probably only list him at 315. He, I mean, he's a big guy. He's 6'6, so he carries it really well. But I mean, when he's beaten up on those rookie tackles or beaten up on like Makai Becton, it's because like those guys aren't used to having someone their same height and length be able just to bully them like that. Because usually if someone's like 6'6 like that, you know, they're moving a lot more differently, not quite running through you, but right. Right. That's kind of where I thought that length too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought kind of though, Darisaw and uh, O'Neal, I thought they were both more or less ready for that this week. They're though. solid. Like, That's yeah. A solid tackle duo. I mean, I thought, was good. Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing like my writing and stuff, I thought they were going to try to pick on the interior guys a lot more. So, you know, maybe it's just something, you know, it's hindsight. They're not going to see the Vikings again for a while, but. It is what it is. Well, and they do have a short week coming up. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I didn't look too hard in the snap count to see if anyone was, was too limited. I don't know if Chris was limited at all. Um, maybe kind of, you know, preserving them for a short week. But before we get, uh, I got a couple panic button meters that I got to ask you about here. This is where we can talk about, excuse me, we can talk about maybe one of the underlying storylines of this game and it's, and it's sky more. Uh, and, and the fact that panic mutter, panic button meter wise, I think we definitely have to have it out here and, and, and we definitely have to be pressing it. And the fact that he just may not be, you know, he, he may just be getting overlapped. I think is the way to put it by Rasheed rice. I think this back to back years of two, of second round picks at wide receiver you know, I think in theory, Sky was supposed to do one set of skills and talents, and Rasheed was supposed to do kind of another maybe set of skills and talents, and they were supposed to work in tandem well together. But I think we're getting to the point where Rasheed is doing the things that he was supposed to do, you know, pretty well, obviously, but now is also showing that he can do the things Sky can do at receiver. And that's not necessarily good when you also have all these other receivers that fill different roles and you can't just say, okay, well, if, if Sky's not going to be able to do the things that we 
we kind of penciled him in to do, we can put him somewhere else. Well, no, you have Tony that fills that role. You have Justin Watson that fills that role. You have MBS, obviously, that's going to play, you know, all the, you know, the most snaps of the receiver room. To me, if this if this offense right now wants to be at its best, you know, Rasheed Rice should be playing the majority of the snaps in the slot over Sky Moore, which Sky has been phased out of the slot more and more as the season as as the season's gone on. But you know, I think the best receiver trio right now is 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 Rasheed. Uh, Kadarius and maybe like a, and either Justin Watson or MBS as kind of that that deep threat you know Z or X on the outside uh, you know that's that best eleven personnel right now to me Caleb I don't know what are how are you feeling about Sky and and Rasheed kind of just how they kind of maybe coexist in this offense it's unfortunate for Sky because I still think there's something there they just don't have time to wait right now like they don't have time to like give him this these reps i mean like we're getting ready to be they're getting ready to be in week 6 so you're like at this point they have to start figuring out what they're going to do what's their plan because pretty soon it's going to be december and when you get to december in the nfl you're starting to look to january if you're going to make it that far and if you're in january and you're winning a lot of games you got to sit down and start to think and say yeah we we're going to have a chance to go to the super bowl this year so we have to start figuring out who our guys are. And then the big receiver rotation is fun in camp because you see a lot of different guys. It creates a lot of conversation. <laughs> right. It's fun in the preseason. Now's the time to start shrinking it down. You know, last season was worked well where they could like distribute the ball around a lot because like they had Juju, who was a good professional football receiver. Like he fit Andy Reid's system well for like having like a big strong guy that can play in the slot do different things like that. And, you know, right now they're struggling, right? Like Justin Watson's probably better than MVS is right now. Pat probably I, trusts him. A I agree. Bit more. I think that's true. Like, I mean, it's crazy. People are like saying it's crazy. Like, I don't think it is. Like you take a look at their production and who Pat's throwing the ball to on these deep balls. Like it's clearly he's fake. He's liking what Watson's doing. He's liking whether it's just him fighting back for the ball. It's something in there, but, you know, it's just – it's not a good situation for Sky. I mean, I'm sure they'll find something to do. If anything, this year he's going to still be quality depth. But right now, if Rice is flashing like this, you got to get him going. And also, I, I don't think it was by surprise that Justin Ross found his way into the game. Now, you saw, like – you saw the high end and you saw the low end of what he can be. The high end, when they are got him on, like, the backside and he's isolated one-on-one -on -one versus small receiver, he's going to make some plays. The low end is he's got to be consistently good enough. And people are like, well, they got to get him the ball for him to be consistently good enough. I'm like, dude, you have to take advantage of your chances when Mahomes gives them to you in the game or he's not going to trust you anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's gotten a higher, you know, target to snap ratio in their lives than Justin Ross. I mean, every time he's on the field, he's getting a target. And if he's not on the like, that's the only time he's on the field, it seems like. I mean, he's so, yeah, I, you can't say that you're 100 percent right. Uh, you know, Justin Ross, uh, you know, had the two drops. You know, one of them was tougher than the other. You know, one of them, he, you know, the last one, the second one definitely needed to be caught on that Hank route you know, the curl route over the middle. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that that cover two hole shot where he catches it over the corner. Um, that was beautiful. They motioned into a four by one set, you know, that kind of held the safety for a little bit and, and Mahomes just put it exactly where he wanted, but seeing how high Ross got on that, if you kind of, kind of just focus on like where Ross is catching the ball, like up in the air on, on the all 22, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive, man. And it's exciting to have that in the offense. 
But but to kind of just finish the Sky conversation, man, it's just becoming pretty obvious to me that Sky Moore is being used like McCole Hardman in terms of, you know, kind of being the jet motion guy most of the time, being the decoy route a lot of the times. But Sky Moore isn't a McCole Hardman talent where he has this game-breaking speed that if you hand it to him on a jet and and you miss, you know, one defender doesn't get over in time, he's going to take it to that. No, Sky doesn't have that kind of game-breaking ability. And he also just, you know, that, you know, that just doesn't, it limits you in that role. And if he's not doing that, you know, and you have all these other guys, you know, kind of maybe making more plays like a Tony, obviously, and, 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 and rice from the slot. Yeah. It's to me. Yeah. I, he's becoming, you know, someone that like you just mentioned is just maybe going to be quality depth for right now for this season. And, you know, Rashid's, you know, Rashid's going to emerge. Um, and so I'm excited for, but the team has to let him emerge. And so, you know, to answer Thomas Ramirez's question, always asking good questions. You know, he, he said, should Rice and Moore switch snap counts from here on out? I, I truly believe so. I think I think score, Sky should be playing a limited snap count and Rice should be the one playing, you know, 50, 60 percent of the time. Um, that's that's about what Sky has been playing, uh, you know, the last couple couple games. J.C. Proctor at J.C. Ramon J.C. on Twitter. He, he had to throw this out there. How can we get less more and more Rice? I'll take my answer off air. Thank you. Shout out JC Proctor. Yes, I, I, I think we are headed that direction. Uh, we, we're going to get less, more, and more rice. And and I have a few tweets already out on, on Twitter, if you check out my TL, uh, kind of showing where Sky could have taken advantage more in this game. Because it's not just, you know, there is an argument to be made that the Chiefs aren't, aren't giving him enough opportunities for him to show his talents. But, you know, I think just like the Justin Ross thing, you got to take advantage of the opportunities when you get them. And Sky's... I think Sky's got enough opportunities to 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 and, uh, to not show what he has not shown to this point. But one more panic button meter before we get to break, Caleb. I gotta ask you, your guy Nick Bolton. It's been two weeks since we've seen him on the field, and in those two weeks, you have been done a very good job of highlighting how good Drew Tranquil has been playing, and 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 I think everyone can see what does that kind of look like when Bolton comes back because you can't just necessarily take someone playing that well in that mic position off the field and drew will probably play maybe some of the dime dime stuff. Right. But I don't know what, what are your take on how, how it can look when Bolton gets back healthy? I don't think this is a bad thing at all. And I like no one that actually knows what they're talking about when it comes to football thought bringing in drew tranquil is going to be a bad thing. Like I think we were having like a conversation off air when they made the sign for it. And it was like some shock like no one expected it and right. I'm we're all like well this is probably going to end up really well because linebacker is a physical spot and Nick Bolton for the first time in his career is missing a stretch of games he played like 99% of the snaps last season that's unsustainable yeah. so if you're going by like kind of like a committee idea it is good to be able to manage snap counts and be able to do this kind of thing those guys are really good at doing different kinds of things though this game against Minnesota was tailor-made for a guy like Tranquil, where he's going against a really athletic tight end. He's going to have to play a lot in coverage. When you know when the Eagles come to town in a few weeks, is that necessarily where he's going to shine, having to stop like the downhill run game? No, but that's where Nick Bolton kind of makes his bread and butter at. Moving forward, it's going to be like a lot of you know matchup decisions for Spags, where he's going to have to figure out on a game by game basis how he wants to break down their snaps. 
And I think Tranquil is versatile enough to really play wherever they do want to put him, so he'll probably cut more into Willie Gay snaps as the will backer in yeah. some instances out of base. And he's also like physical enough to where he can spell Leo also, but then he'll be able to spell Bolton. I think we'll see like just kind of this matchup by matchup deal. I'd assume when they play the Chargers, if Austin Eckler is there and healthier, if any of those running backs are healthy and they need someone to kind of spy Herbert, I would say we're probably going to see a big, a big dose of tranquil. Like that'll be in 10 days or whatever, whatever it's going to be. So I don't see if it's a bad thing. There's no reason to hit the panic button for having too many talented middle linebackers in the NFL. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you went that direction because, yeah, I I think you mentioned the health part of it. Spags has already talked about it, how they, they are rotating these guys with purpose because they want all four to to get enough snaps to to play and feel like contributors, but also to keep all of them rested and none of them too fatigued. You mentioned Bolton, 99% of the snaps. There's no reason to do that because you know what that does is it makes him tired on half the snaps. It makes him tired on third down when he's supposed to be, you know, you know, chasing the, the uh, tight end out to the flat makes him tired on the ensuing first down after he just did that. And now all of a sudden he's not as good in the run and run defense because he's exhausted. You know, it's going to, it makes the defense better to have fresh linebackers at all points. So good points there. All right, let's send it to break on this. Always doing my, my, uh, what NFL player am I game. This week, we're talking about a player that played for the Chiefs and the Broncos, Caleb. So you have to guess who this player is. And he was a seventh-round pick by Denver. He was famous as a, a part of a dynamic running back trio in college. He only played one year for the Chiefs later on, but he was most famous for being on the cover of Madden. Who am I referring to? I'm going to see if Caleb can answer that on the other side. We'll see you then. All right. We are back on the AP Out of Structure podcast. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you joining. I did my NFL player. What what NFL player am I? Uh, uh, riddle at the at the break. And Caleb, I, I think I think I got Caleb. I think I stumped Caleb. Do you, do you have an answer for me here? I do not. I have no idea. Yeah, it was Peyton Hillis, famous Chiefs running back, famous fullback, famous Madden cover athlete. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he was drafted by Denver, and he played running back and linebacker for them for a few years. Then with Cleveland, popped off for a 1,000-yard season. Apparently, that's enough to get you on the Madden cover. So, uh, shout-out Peyton Hillis. Played for the Chiefs in probably the worst year in franchise history, 2012. But wanted to, wanted to get a tough one out there for the people. So, shout-out anyone that got that one. Yeah, him and but, Jamal Charles is supposed to be like lightning and thunder that year, and then Jamal got hurt, and yes, there was no thunder. <laughs> it was just a, a clear skies uh, in terms of how to defend the Chiefs' offense that that day. It was, it was pretty clear, or that year. So, shout out the 2012 Chiefs. Eleven years later, we are thank very thankful for what the Chiefs look like now, and we are very thankful for you people sending in questions for us to answer on the podcast tonight. Jake Wilson at Jake for now on Twitter always asks some great questions. And today, Caleb, he brings to us this. Are Chiefs fans paying too little attention to Casey's development of the run game and its impact on clock management? Interesting question here, considering, you know, time of possession is always something that Chiefs fans can kind of laugh at. It's like, 
hey, we have Patrick Mahomes. We don't care about time of possession. We're going to score as quickly as we need to. And, you know, it's not, you know, we, we care about the points on the board, not the time of possession. But, Caleb, is there anything to the Chiefs kind of maybe needing to lean on the run game and kind of maybe lean into clock management a little more uh, with the current version of the offense? I don't know necessarily about the clock management thing as much. You know, that kind of – that stat just kind of goes – wishy-washy it's like one of those old ball coach stats that like they go see look we run the clock control i'm like yeah but 10 other things also happened but yeah there's definitely something to the running game like them having to lean on it and why not you have you know you have an excellent interior offensive line pacheco's a budding running back i've certainly feel like i've done enough running but running game analysis that I mean, it's definitely something they've developed. People should be paying attention to it because it's you know it's going to be a giant roll down the season goes as they continue to try to figure out what's wrong with the passing attack. So you don't buy into though, like you know, if the passing attack's going to be this sluggish all year, like do they need to, you know? And they already don't play tempo, right? Mahomes, the Chiefs never really run tempo where they're 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 hurrying to the line of scrimmage, you know, without obviously two minute four minute drill kind of things. Um, but you don't think if the, off, if the pass offense is going to look this sluggish that, you know, Hey, maybe there is something too, you know, just, just, you know, eating the clock, you know, you know, avoiding incomplete passes, you know, and, and, and really just grinding it out. Like could, could the chief benefit from, from turning into one of those teams, just like situate situationally, I've always thought so, but like, they may need to like actually do it this year instead of just like, you know, it being kind of a luxury. Yeah, you know, this week they almost pulled off a perfect four-minute drill. They came up just short on it. Four-minute drill, you know, you have the ball with four minutes to go. You got to kill the clock. You think about last week, though, against the Jets, yeah, there were a lot of penalties on that last drive, but they held the ball for eight minutes to end the game. It wasn't maybe not quite eight minutes. They held the ball for a long time, like 16 plays to end the game. So there's definitely something to that in some situations, and it definitely puts pressure on people. The thing I like most about what they're doing with the run game is there's been these play action passes have not worked for them for like two seasons because no one's actually thought they were going to run the ball. They haven't worked for them for a while. Eventually at some point they're going to bust them back open because teams are eventually going to get tired of being gashed in the mouth by Pacheco and they're going to have to come up with something. So I think we're just kind of buying time till that day comes, which hopefully will be pretty soon. No, it's a good point because, you know, NFL defensive coaches are not, you know, are not just going to bank on what your reputation is. They're saying they want to bank on what they're seeing this season. And if you're watching the Chiefs offense this year, you may want to heat up Mahomes. You may want to, you know, test him and, 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 you know, play one high coverages and kind of, you know, crowd the line of scrimmage and not let that run game going and get into third and tens. I don't think, you know, I don't know the stats on their third and 10 efficiency, Although I will say they are the number one team in third down this year. I saw that uh, 50, almost 52% conversion on third down overall. So maybe this isn't the right way to say this, but just in terms of, you know, defensive coaches are going to get risky with how they defend the chiefs offense and, and do or die games. And so I, I'm interested to see, yeah, who's going to really, you know, the Vikings were maybe going to be one of those teams that test him with a, a lot of blitzes, but you know, they did a really good job of, of, of blitzing, but maybe not necessarily sending more than four rushers you know, doing a lot of zone blitzes, a lot of, you know, fire zone, you know, even three-man rushes where they had a, you know, a DN drop out into a short flat, uh, you know, a short zone coverage. You know, I, it did trip them up a little bit at times, and and but they prevailed, and uh, shout out to Chiefs for doing that. 
but yeah, I do think I, I I do think this offense may, you know, while the receivers, you know, we've been talking about this, but you know, it is real that this this Chiefs offense does need to lean on the run game while the receivers kind of, you know, get through their uh, their development, and we'll see if they can do it quicker than than uh, slower. We'll see. Uh, Thomas Ramirez asked an earlier question. He asked another one here. What was more impressive, the secondary locking down Justin Jefferson and the receivers, or the offensive line playing a full game clean and penalty free? Which one do you want to uh, give a, a game ball to if you had to pick between one or the other? I'll go with the uh, with the secondary this week. I thought they were good. You know, uh, Jefferson dropped some passes too there, but we you know it's hard to take away too much from them. And, you know, with that stuff from the offensive line, you know, it's crazy, but you kind of expect it, you know, they can't go every game where they're just getting called for everything. And this week they did let them play. They let them play up front on both sides of the ball this week. There's a little bit going on. I don't know if you caught it at the end of the game, but Jawan was getting a little quick there towards the end of the game. I, uh, but Donovan was also, so they're definitely some, they sync that up a little bit and better now to where they can't get it called. So, they can't really target one of them, but you I mean you got to give it to the DBs though. That was that was just something else. Yeah, no, you have you have to um, because even the safeties. You already mentioned Mike Edwards, Justin Reed. Um, you know, Spag shouted out Mike Edwards. He's he is playing more. Um, typically, you see the Chiefs' two starting safeties both play the same amount of snaps because right, they're obviously both going to be on the field every snap for the most part. You're seeing Justin Reed still have that high snap count, but Brian Cooks drop, and it's because I think in the in pass down nickel formations they are having Mike Edwards in over Brian Cook, which I think tells you they like Mike Edwards to be you know more in those pass situations over a Brian Cook. And you're seeing why, man. He gets over the top of receivers all the time. Like I, I mean, I don't know if if it's just receivers or quarterbacks not you know respecting his his range, but. I mean, the last couple of weeks, we've seen him get over the top of vertical routes. And, 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 uh, well, I get, you know, I will say the Jets game, it was, I, I highlighted it on, uh, in our AP film room, but it was, it was Sneed kind of jamming Garrett Wilson so hard that there was no route on that side to read. So he kind of, you know, had a free, free range uh, there. But, you know, I will say to Thomas's question, he asked about the O line playing a full game clean penalty free. It was nice to see the penalty free part, but they did give up a couple sacks. Uh, you know, one of them I, I, I did see on, on the film. I didn't get through the whole offensive film today, but, uh, you know, it was a play action shot. Hunter loops around from from the outside and, and it just catches, you know, Creed off guard. He just isn't able to pick it up in time. And and honestly, there was an open receiver downfield, but Hunter's just so big. He he just takes up Mahomes throwing when uh, like throwing vision and, and Mahomes just can't see it and kind of just succumbs to it. So. You know, it wasn't a bad game from the offensive line at all. I, I love what we saw on the ground from them. But, you know, in pass protection, you know, it, it could have been cleaner, could have been better. Um, but, I, you know, again, the Chiefs got around it. The Chiefs did what they needed to do to get it done. Um, and, and the Vikings, you know, they have, they have some players. You know, Davenport's in there too, Marcus Davenport. Uh, you know, they have some guys that can get after the quarterback off the edge. So, I don't know, any other offensive line notes? Now we're just talking O-line real quick before we move on. Uh, I honestly, I thought a lot of the, uh, the sacks they did give up, I thought was probably, you know, Mahomes was holding the ball for a little bit on some of those. You mentioned yeah. some of the issues. That's right. one of those areas where like the receivers, I think are spilling out, but you know, they're still, they're still working in there. I mean, that's everyone's game plan every single week is to, you know, you have to get home with pass rushers to have any chance to stop the chiefs. 
the Vikings did it just enough to keep it close. Yes, they did. All right, Kevin Kaling at Kansas Comet on Twitter. He asked a pretty interesting question here, talking about Legereus Sneed and Chris Jones. If Chris Jones requires roughly $30 million next year and Sneed is around $17 million, I believe he's referring to the franchise tag uh, You know, with these numbers. Which do you choose? And so he's basically asking you if, if you had to use a franchise tag or one or the other, and let's just play, let's just live in a hypothetical world where they're fine playing on the tag, so you're not really worried about you know uh, them holding out like we saw from Chris Jones this year. Which one would you choose, Caleb? Would you rather have that that elite pass rusher kind of later in his career, Chris Jones, or or would you rather have Snead, who might be ascending as an outside cornerback, a true shutdown cornerback right now? I would still keep it with Chris Jones, and I know it's a ton of money for just one year, but, I mean, you don't really have to lock in anything long-term with a tag like that. He's getting an astronomical amount of money for one season, and as good as everyone in the secondary and linebackers looks, that defense still revolves around what happens to 95 playing and play out up front. Like, it's not always the most flashy, fun thing to talk about. The dude's had a sack every game this season. He is on a tear. That is crazy. Like, he's That's something that's it's been – it's so expected, and honestly, the Chiefs probably aren't hyping it up enough for a reason because his price tag is skyrocketing drastically by the minute because they didn't pay him the first time. He's a little angry right now. But when you're looking at this – if he did, if he keeps at this pace like this, this could be the greatest season defensive tackle has ever had. Possibly he could outshine Aaron Donald because there's some bad lines coming up. Like there's a chance that these one sack games could turn into two sack games, and you know he's his name's going to be up there with the sack leaders for the entire league by the time this thing's over. They played Denver twice in the next three games, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, let's just say that quarterback in Denver, you know, he's he's, he's He's pretty susceptible to the sack, and uh, their offensive line isn't isn't crazy crazy over there. Um, no, I, I think it's I think it's an interesting interesting point on Chris, man. Uh, a sack in every game, you know. There's there's elite pass rushers that go you know two three four games without a sack, and you just kind of it's just part of the game, right? Because it is hard to get a sack, and Chris Jones just you you can bank on him getting a sack every game, and and he actually does have the NFL record for back in 2018. I think it was eleven straight games he had a sack, and 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 so he he he's known for going on these these streaks, and this is what he does. So shout out Chris, keep it up. Legarius, though, I do think he is playing at a at, at a level that I think after the season he is going to get top cornerback money on the free agent market. I didn't think he would maybe before the season. I thought it might have been a mistake on his part to kind of. Uh, you know, maybe play more outside corner, and it's not his choice necessarily, but to play more outside corner than slot because I think he's more of a playmaker in the slot. But he's proving that his combination of athleticism and size and length is is what you want at your outside cornerback, and it's exactly what is is is. But I I do think the point though you make with Chris Jones, it, everything revolves around Chris Jones. I think to you know to even peel that you know back a little more i think your secondary as long as you have steve spagnola as your defensive coordinator you're gonna have talented secondary players because he's gonna develop them and he's gonna play them to their best ability and don't be surprised if in you know three four years Jamari connor's you know a guy that we're talking about you know do they need to sign to a big deal or not by the time of his end, end of his rookie deal he just churns these guys out and so i i i think 
you 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 sign the pass rushers and you develop defensive backs as much as possible. Um, and and Snead is just a you know Snead is a very talented dude, but I think he's reaching his ceiling because Spags is a great coach. And and shout out Dave Merritt too, you know, great coach as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think Spags is a DB whisperer. He doesn't get credit enough for that. I don't think. I think you know he gets. You know, Caleb, like it's funny, like Spags is known for like the, you know, the NASCAR pass rush package from the Super Bowl, the Giants pack Patriots Super Bowl. But like his bread and butter is the defensive backfield. That's really where he, you know, he grew up. And, and you know, I mean, we're seeing it in Kansas City. I mean, he's really developing a bunch of DBs and he's done it over and over and over. Yeah, and his ability to kind of go from teaching uh, man coverage, zone coverage and kind of intertwine it all into one is kind of where the magic of all that comes from. Well, Caleb, let's round it out here. We do have a Thursday night game this week. The Chiefs are hosting the Denver Broncos in Arrowhead. A fun game, hopefully, for the Chiefs because this Broncos team is bad. And, you know, I'm not just saying that because I hate the Denver Broncos and hate the their colors and the look of their logo and everything. But the Broncos are 1-4. Their only win was in Chicago where they were down at one point 28-7 to to the Bears. And Chicago, a, a everyone knows a, a very put together, well well kept franchise right now. Uh, you know, let them back into the game and allowed them to win by three points. This Denver team is bad. Their defense gave up seventy points to the Miami Dolphins in Week Three. They are coming into Arrowhead. Uh, I don't know, Caleb. This is. Uh, let me read some stats real quick. I asked for hand that off to Denver's defense is giving up the highest yards per play rate in the NFL. They've allowed the most passing touchdowns in the NFL, and they have the lowest pressure rate as a team in the NFL. So those are just three kind of categories of, of stats to tell you that they are bad at everything. And this is not the Denver defensive old. And so let's we should we should be in for a fun game Thursday night, don't you think? Yeah, like the past five years of Denver being bad. They've been bad, but it's been tricky games because their defense has always matched up well. The Vic Fangio right. and anything they had from those—that's all yeah. gone. That's Ezero Evero was the defensive coordinator last year, and he was a Fangio disciple too. You're right, but he is yeah. gone. It's Vance Joseph. Yikes. Yeah, and they just their talent is gone. Like their talent pool that they had through some of those years where they were those good deep, where they had those good defenses is drastically dwindled. They haven't restocked it because they don't have any draft picks because they traded for Russell Wilson, who they're kind of padding the stats to justify some stuff right now. But I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, I think the chiefs will be more than good. The Broncos give up a lot of running yards. So I think this could be a big, uh, you know, Mahomes ankle, Kelsey ankle, maybe come out here and just let Pacheco and McKinnon go to work on these guys. Maybe let CEH try to play football or maybe elevate another third running back just in case. Who knows? But uh, I don't know. This offense should completely roll these guys. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point about the run defense. I mean, Miami, if you watch that game, I mean, they're just running plays – basic run plays and they're just not getting touched, you know, 30 yards into the, you know, in, into the open field. I mean, ridiculous Denver, you know, Denver allowing some of that stuff to happen. I know Miami's offense is, is put a lot of defenses in a bind right now, but my God um, should be, uh, should be a good game uh, for the chiefs offense to get back on track, uh, not get back on track. They had a pretty good game in Minnesota, but you know, just 
continue to get back into a rhythm, um, continue that momentum from Minnesota. On the other other side of the ball, you kind of mentioned Russell Wilson's stat get, stats kind of maybe being a little padded because he does have some pretty good stats this year. Um, you know, has he been that bad this year? It's hard to say. The, the offense ne- hasn't necessarily been terrible in terms of they've scored, you know, 33 points in a game, 31 points in Chicago. Uh, you know, they had 21 points against the Jets last week. But at the same time, you know, Denver's turned the ball over at inopportune times. Um, and Russell Wilson's a big part of that. Uh, but he does have the third most passing touchdowns in the NFL, the 11th highest net yards for pass attempts. Um, what are you seeing or what do you feel like from Russell Wilson? You know, is because he did have some decent games against the Chiefs last year, right? It, you know, I think last year towards the end of the season, he, he didn't do too bad. What is, uh, you know, is it the pass rush? Is it the coverage? Like what's what's really the key, right? Uh, you know, you're seeing kind of, I guess, as we get into Thursday for the defense. I'm hoping the defensive line can have a turnaround kind of performance. I don't think, like we mentioned a second ago, like the Broncos O-line, they're not that great. Chris Jones has kind of beat up on them a lot in the past. So, I mean, it's going to be a combination of both there. You'd like to see them get back. You'd like to see them pressure him. It'd be a fun game to like have some turnovers, maybe like a home pick six in front of the home crowd. would be fun. Something like that. So, you know, obviously, you know, Sean Payton's in there, so they're going to get a little bit better on offense. But how much better is it? You know, they scored a bunch of points against the Bears. Okay, the Bears aren't that great. I know they just played a pretty close game against the good Jets defense, but the Jets, you know, counteract that by having a really bad offense for the most part. So we'll, it'll be interesting. This is a game that Chiefs should win. I know Sean Payton's going to have those guys fired up and ready to go because it's kind of his first crack he's ever had at Mahomes, you know, in a meaningful situation, as meaningful as it can be at this point in the year for them. But, you know, they should – I still think the Chiefs should go out there and take care of business. No, I I, I agree. I do think Sean Payton is going to find a way to, to, you know, get them fired up. I think he has, he has a separate playbook that he's been kind of saving for this game, you know, because he is the Broncos head coach for the long haul right now. And he knows how important it is, you know, to, to gain respect and everything to beat the Chiefs. So I think, I think the Chiefs should be in, should be in for a dogfight, a battle. But yeah, I, I think Denver, you don't put these two, these bad performances up and not just be a terrible team. Um, I do think they're really bad right now. I think we're going to see them, you know, snowball into being one of the worst teams, worst records in the NFL this year. And so I think the Chiefs kind of escort them to that on Thursday night. Excited for that game. Excited to join you guys back next week on the AP Out of Structure podcast. Appreciate you listening this time. Uh, Caleb joined me. Appreciate you joining me, Caleb, filling in for Stags. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, it means we have not probably done the AP Film Room yet. So make sure you check out check out Tuesday night on the Arrowhead Pride uh, pages. We'll do the uh, X's and O's breakdown, looking at the film from the Chiefs Vikings game. Caleb will be with me doing that, so it'll be a fun time. But for that, I will get out of here on this. Uh, shout out to you guys for listening. Appreciate you guys. Make sure you, ch- uh, you check out the website, arrowheadpride.com. Make sure you follow everybody on that site, on all the social medias. We will catch you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>